This is a Baby Brunch podcast. Baby Brunch, the parenting series, is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility, and control. And that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth, we let you be you. Dion Veyers is a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon with a private practice in Four Ways Life Hospital. His facility does various things, so reconstructive and cosmetic procedures, and he has a passion for a lot of things, cosmetic procedures, and also for giving back. Dr. Veyers, they're talking about vasolipo as well, so I can't wait to talk about that and to ask you about that. But at the moment, he's in our studio because we have access to a plastic surgeon, and I want to know... I want to know a lot of stuff from you. So first of all, a warm welcome to Baby Brand. Thank you very much. The parenting series. Doctor, let's get straight into it. If you say you're a plastic surgeon, what do you do? What is plastic about it? Well, you know, there's a misconception that plastic just refers to to actual plastic. Um, It's more about um, being able to change and being able to use tissues and use it in various ways to then reconstruct, to enhance, to restore. So there are two big sides to it. The one is the reconstructive leg and the other one then is the cosmetic leg. I think that I basically do, um, I do a bit of both and that would be restoring tissues after accidents, after cancer to a functional state. So it's all about function, not only for instance, to be able to use a limb, but also for that limb to look as good as possible. And then on a cosmetic level, it's to in my view, also restore a lot of changes that occurs in the body in general from aging, from pregnancies, from weight fluctuations. It's basically, and it's, it doesn't only involve a surgical, uh, the surgical side to it. It can also be your less invasive treatments, your minimal invasive or your non-invasive treatments and, and ways to, to achieve that. But a lot of it does entail tail theater. So I'm in, in the rooms three days out of five in the, in the week and two days I spend in the operating theater doing various surgeries normally when you say to someone i'm a gp you know people say oh yeah but when you say you're a plastic surgeon people are like "Ooh, you know what why is that is it because it's associated with changing or enhancing making bigger you know the the pop culture image that we have of plastic surgery and reconstruction yeah, I think it's exactly that. It's this pop culture um, influence that that comes through because, you know, it's often associated with television programs and, and various uh, media platforms um, with more your glamour type of associations and and uh, celebrities and, you know, what the Kardashians have been doing yeah. and how they're enhancing <laughs> their bodies. So um, so it has it has a lot of that connotation, this this popular culture um, um, association. And I think that's that's maybe why I do think that there are other specialities which are equally as exciting and no no disregard to the gps as well they do a lot of um good stuff but yeah i think that's why also when one's out socially why it is quite a um a focus for for conversation once you say you're a plastic surgeon what's the process i mean now i decide that i want to have reconstruction of the breast or buttocks do you do do you bums Yes, I do. Yes. Really? Yes. Um, it's become much more popular. It's growing in popularity. Really? So uh, a BBL refers to a Brazilian butt lift. And that refers to, and you were talking about VASA, but um, that refers to enhancing or contouring the body around the buttocks and then potentially using the fat that you get from the liposuction in, in the contouring around the buttocks and re-injecting it into the buttocks to enhance it further. You are um, kidding me. So, yes, it's uh, something which has really uh, gained a lot of uh, 
popularity probably in the last I would say decade maybe how decade do you heal now. from a bum implant do you Two you, weeks, you're on your stomach or you're um, <gasps> recovering on your sides when the patients come for their really? follow-up visits. Also, it's important for them to to not be driving and to be on the back seat on their way on their mm-hmm. stomachs. But then there are special type of garments which also keep the pressure off the buttocks and uh, special devices like uh, like soft cushion rolls that we put underneath the thighs um, so the pressure is relieved off the buttocks. This is specifically important if a patient might have had silicone implants for buttock enhancement. Silicone, no. Really? Yes. Um, if a patient doesn't have um, enough the, fat, enough to, fat yeah. and, they, and they really want to have an enhancement, then a silicone implant uh, for buttocks is, is one, of the, one of the options. There are also injectable options, which are not fat or then silicone. It's uh, using a collagen-stimulating filler that can also be used to enhance the buttocks. Can it pop? You know what? Not so much with like the buttocks. Like, let's say I want to sit on my chair and I'm like, hey, and oh. My silicone bum implant just ruptures. Ruptured. The longer the implants are in, then the higher the possibility becomes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but it, it is a very firm silicone gel for buttock implants. So um, likelihood of ruptures is much less, for instance, compared to breast or, or breast implants. As I was saying, so I, I decide now that I'm ready for this procedure. How do you screen someone? I mean, what happens when, when they come into your surgery or in any other surgery for plastic surgery? Uh, is there a process? Do you sign a form? And I have a consultation form that the patients complete. You know, besides for just getting the medical um, background and the patient's uh, medical history, um, it's also been compiled along with the psychi- psychiatrist to identify any red flags. Um, for any patient with regards to uh, potential psychological concerns that there might be in, right. in, in terms of you know what the patient's motives are behind um, behind seeking the surgery. I think it, it does take a certain amount of craziness you know within ourselves to decide that we're going to do something to our body anyway. Yeah. What would they look for? So you look for for unrealistic expectations for patients with multiple procedures right. um, and also patients who in their history um, who you can see are under some form of psychiatric counseling or have had mm. psychiatric treatment in the past. There's a lot of influences there as well. It doesn't have enough to be that a, a patient is crazy mm. and uh, mm. um, and wanting to have some body enhancements but those are red flags which already you know just makes one a little bit more um, mm. alert to the fact mm. but then again it's over to the patient's honesty as well I had a patient not too long ago who was interested in a mommy makeover so some breast enhancement breast lift with implants and right. a, a tummy tuck procedure um, combined and um, she paid the the fee as she left for the surgery already after the consultation this was just uh, by the way a second pre-operative consultation and the very next day, she she asked for a refund um, because she was she admitted that she was dishonest with me, that she lied and she said that she was doing it for herself. But she's recently had a, a divorce and mm. that there were a lot of, you know, domestic um, history uh, mm. issues. So it's it's really over to also the trust that you put into a patient and then to stress to them what the expectation should be. Mm. That's basically. The process from there on, it's booking uh, um, the appointment in theatre and seeing the patient through, obviously with the surgery, but also then afterwards in the follow-ups. By the way, we have a lot of respect for mental health in our heads in in the show and on this podcast. So I do use those terms lightly, you know, and mental health is important to me. And it's wonderful that you say that honesty is part of this process because you would never, if you go and research things online, 
put honesty, plastic surgery, I mean, breast augmentation, buttocks and all of that and implants. I don't know if those are the type of keywords that you'd find together, if you know what I mean. So it's wonderful that you can that you can unpack it and, and talk to us about it in, in this way. Talk about mentally fit doctor and then moving on to, to something like medical aid. I mean, when does medical aid pay for a procedure? Um, because surely, and like you've explained, it's not just augmentation or reconstructive surgery that you do. You do this for people who, I mean, I learned the other day that you did a case where a child fell and you had to you had to mend skin on or tissue on a face, you know. When does medical aid cover and what, what do you have to expect from your medical aid provider and when does it have to come from your savings? You know, if anything that's under a trauma-related trauma incident, so a child, for instance, that fell, mm-hmm. that's got a deep um, cut or a laceration then um, on the eyelid, um, extending all the way to the bone. You know, those are potentials then for, besides for the disfigurement in the long term that it can that it can cause if just left untreated and, you know, unsutured and not cleaned out properly. Um, it also can then result in infection mm-hmm. and, uh, and all the, the um, you know, disastrous effects of that. Um, and that's also not uh, even taking into account blood vessel injury, nerve injuries that you also would want to repair for to maintain muscle function. So so those are trauma codes, anything also under a, a malignancy or a cancer um, is also regarded in, in most medical aids as a prescribed minimum benefit, which means that the medical aid would pay for something um, related and the reconstruction um, of that. You get a little bit more of the, the cosmetically, mm, I would say, it might have a little bit of a cosmetic flavor to it, but we you look at function. Mm-hmm. If if a person with a size a G cup size um, bra is left um, to be dependent on pain medications constantly at work, where it's often interferes with their 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 function, there it makes them tired, makes them feel groggy. Let alone the effects on the liver and the and the um, stomach, back pain. Um, infections underneath the breasts, then a breast reduction under those circumstances, um, if motivated correctly and w- should be covered by some medical aids, not all of them, but there are some. So that's when it then becomes you know, funded for. Mm-hmm. But you can also then appreciate that there would be some individuals that might want to take chances on that kind of milk it if I can put it that way and right. say they've got this chronic back pain but actually or the other way around I really want bigger breasts and the trauma of having these small breasts is really yes, similar <laughs> to that yes how do I function looking this old in society oh, nowadays yes. you know? <laughs> fix my nose doctor no don't fix my nose I love my nose the way it is so I want to I want to get to the mommy makeover, but it's probably the coolest part of this whole discussion. So I've got nothing against plastic surgery. You know, I enjoy the topic, and I think it's wonderful that um, your job exists to help people in all. You know, you give people confidence, and and I think that's wonderful if it means that people are kinder when they come and see you. You know, I say, hey man, make the world a better place. Get Doctor Dion in, and just let him let him help all of us. You know, but I want to quickly touch on breasts, and you mentioned something that's very close to my heart. When we talk cancer, do you do the actual double mastectomy? Yeah. So, along with a breast surgeon, one would a breast, so a general surgeon, right? One would do that. I must be honest that with a breast reconstruction, I'm not in a centre where there's a full team um, of a general surgeon, the oncologist, 
the radiologist because right. it usually takes that. I'm involved in quite a few secondary reconstructions where, you know, the other passion that I have in doing so much, also body contouring when liposuction is one of them, is harvesting a lot of and extracting a lot of fat from patients. Mm. And that fat can be used again to then inject into the breast to right. plump it up um, and to restore uh, not so much a full, um, um, you know, full breast from a full mastectomy, but um, often the finer fine tunings of of where an implant might be quite visible underneath the skin, mm. and you want to create a softer, more natural appearance to a breast. So that's where, um, on a reconstruction level, I, I come in. But there are, especially, um, there is a center in, in in Johannesburg where, due to a genetic predisposition in other words a genetic underlying cause to develop breast cancer some a lot of um, women are going for then a prophylactic a preventative mastectomy mm. um, because their likelihood to develop cancer okay. is so high and in those cases then well it depends then on the preference of the patient and also the the surgeon and their advice but um you know they often then uh, a reconstruction with implants uh, will be advised. But that differs according to, like I say, to the patient's specific circumstances. How do you know what size? So d when you come to your your studio, do surgery, yes. you, uh, what do you call that place? Your, your practice. practice. Or your, yes. Do you actually have different sizes of silicone implants like how do you know i want to be a b cup or a c cup after my children or before my children <laughs> so bef before we talk cup sizes i usually talk to a patient and i ask them what their desires are in oh. terms of the appearance that they want okay. it must look sexy well, and then sexy is different for different people. So I give them four examples. Right. The one is a patient who wants a very, very modest augmentation. She doesn't even want her best friend to be able to tell. The second one is one that wants a completely natural result. And she wants something that's proportioned to her body, but she doesn't want other people and there's people that don't know intimately to be able to tell. Right. The third patient is one that wouldn't mind if people had to wonder, hmm, has she had a breast implant? <laughs> or is it her own breast that appears so naturally enhanced? Or maybe she's wearing a very effective push-up bra. And then you get the last patient who says go big or go home i want just whatever you can get All in out. there get in there yeah. that's I how big I want. I want, yes. yes so <laughs> so um but you know that's that's basically in broad terms mm. because then you get someone you get an idea if a patient seeks a more unnatural mm. appearance to a breast okay you know it's not my advice and and i don't really like oversized and because of the long-term implications of that some patients desire that they want to have a, already a cleavage appearance even when they're not wearing an enhancing bra mm. um, or you want someone who wants a very slight so cup sizes isn't always just the key factor but then i also have a 3d imaging system so i take a 3d photo of the patient and on that i can simulate i can show them different sizes of implants oh, wow. in different proportions on their bodies so on their, yes and then, then you can they can see in 3D what, what they'll their body, look like. Yes, so that's quite a, a a nice tool that that I found from before when I didn't have it. I found very helpful because right. often you can say to a patient, yes, I'd suggest a high profile implant, which means that the the dome of the implant is quite full, mm. and also in a let's say a 300 mil size. But that to a person doesn't really mean a lot. Yeah, now, it means nothing to me other than the fact that you're holding your hands like buns. I mean, <laughs> you're saying 300 million and I'm going, hmm? Yeah. So, you know, you want to know what it's going to look like. So this is, it's quite a, a right. good tool. And the other thing that I also have at the practice are external sizes. So the patient fits a specific bra and we have almost a modeled external silicone fitting or a, wow. a mock implant that they then can 
stack into the bra and they can then put their top on over that. And that can give them an idea of the weight of how heavy it will feel. But also when they look at themselves in a clothed figure then, um, they can see what their contours would look like. So those are two ways that I really try, besides just taking measurements and telling the patient, this is what I'd suggest, what um, I, I'd also do or we can do extra for them to have a little bit more of an idea of what, what to expect. Back to harvesting fat for, for breasts and, and do you say breast augmentation? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So where, where would you find the fat on the patient? It depends on where the patient's reserves are and um, what reserves the, mean. Where uh, do you have a bit of fat? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, on my give. hips. On the hips. Well, then that'll be the number one really? spot to go if this and, is the area that you also want contoured. Is it compatible? Of, yes, your own fat will be. Um, you are restricted a little bit in terms of the amount or the volume that mm. you can inject with one session. Right. Uh, where there's a facility called Next Biosciences. Mm. It's a laboratory here in Midrand. So. Often what I would do is if a patient wants a desired cup size, some of that fat won't last ultimately. Right. Um, some of the fat will be processed through natural processes and, and kind of fade away. Right. I basically am able to then do the liposuction, harvest the fat, bank it off-site at Next Biosciences. Bank? Do so they freeze it? They freeze it. <gasps> so they preserve it, yes, um, cryogenically. And um, I often also then ask them to isolate stem cells. Fat's got a very rich source of stem cells. Really? So it's the richest source, source of stem cells that, that the body has. And that stem cells is then isolated from some of the fat used to almost supercharge some of the fat that the, you then use to inject. And that then ensures a longer-term viability uh, and a longer lasting result of the fat with less of the fat being resorbed or processed or worked out. So it's then a gradual process over, let's say, six months to a year okay. of injecting and injecting until the patient achieves the the exact size and the shape that they ultimately want to be. Is harvesting fat painful? Do you do you have to go under, under anesthetic and say, I want this part of my bum right here? You take the fat out there and yes. put them in my breasts. Well, usually good candidates for a fat transfer breast augmentation are patients who want to have some form of body contouring regardless. Okay. So it's a patient who wants to have larger breasts. They want to bring things, curves into proportions, but they also seek a little bit of improvement of, let's say, love handle fat, inner or outer thigh fat, mm. or then tummy fat. In those cases, yes, I can't tell you that liposuction is a walk-in-the-park procedure, mm. even with VASA, which is designed to make it less uncomfortable with less bruising. It's still an uncomfortable uh, procedure and, and recovery because it's all around the body that you've mm. now removed. So you almost don't know how to sit, how to, uh, you know, obviously there are pain medications that we supply the patients to mm. to uh, manage that, but it's still, um, it's still a, a, a process. Small volumes liposuction, not so much. Larger, yes, it is a... It is, there is discomfort involved with that. Not really in the breast, but in <laughs> yeah. the areas where you took the fat from. Does the skin stretch when you do the, the actual implant? How do we manage that? I mean, surely if you were a B cup and now you're a C or a D cup, it's, it's like doing this with your mouth, doctor. Like that. Yes. Yes, there's definitely. The, <laughs> I can't yeah. believe I just did that, but I had to show you. No, I can. No, I understand exactly <laughs> what you mean. 
<laughs> no, there's definitely stretch on the skin. With right. skin, um, obviously, there are sizes where you can see that the tissues aren't being put under too much strain. Mm. And in theatre, let's talk about, again, a breast augmentation because that's the most common implant mm. surgery. There, you, I have sizes which are, st- are sterile implants. Mm. Um, they're not the patient's implants, but they're sterile, and I can use that to see whether what we discussed at the time of the consultation is actually going to give the patient the still the result that we discussed. And there, if you see that that size might put the tissues under too much strain, then then you'll do the safer thing for the patient and choose a smaller implant Mm. and afterwards explain to them, look, we had to use a smaller implant. You still got a a good You're not a D anymore. (laughs) We decided we're going to make you a C. You're now a C, sorry. (laughs) Rather a C than an implant that wants to come through a wound and doesn't want to heal. Wow. Um, Have you had that? I've had one case in a smoker and this was quite a quite some time ago um, who uh, wanted quite a large augmentation and... There was a, about, I'd say, just under a centimeter of an area where the wound, the wound wasn't healing. So if it you took say a while. in a smoker, is that a thing for plastic surgery? Yes, definitely. It's, really? Yes, yes. So much. Oh wow, you're shaking your head, doctor. Why? So, so, so a smoker is not a good candidate. No, no. Look, you want to have you're working with the soft tissues and blood supply is is crucial in a lot of the surgeries, regardless. But in what, especially what we do, because you are putting the tissues under a lot of strain, and mm-hmm. a, a lot of times you're cutting away some of the blood supply. For mm-hmm. instance, a tummy tuck, you're you know you're pulling skin tight. You you basically only relying on the blood supply mm-hmm. that comes from the top of that skin as you pull it down. So. You want to have the optimal blood supply, and that's what smoking does: is constricts blood vessels, it tightens or closes blood vessels, with less less oxygen being carried to the tissues and wounds that you want to heal as good as possible because it's a cosmetic procedure. So yes, especially there are certain procedures which I would postpone or cancel if a patient tells me and they were honest that they that they had a cigarette within two weeks before the procedure. Um, but then you know there are some procedures which we would. Strongly advise patients to stop smoking two weeks before the surgery, but that we could still proceed with a very with a relatively lower risk mm-hmm. for there to be healing problems. So liposuction, for instance, is one of them. It'll still be to the patient's best interest to stop smoking, um, but um, but you would still be able to proceed even if they had smoked for them just to know what the potentials are in terms mm-hmm. of their recovery. They should add that to cigarette packs. Like this could <laughs> this could harm your baby and be bad for plastic surgery. <laughs> your breast <laughs> you will not have bigger boobs because <laughs> because you're picking up this packet because and you're smoking i want to talk about the mommy makeover i will never forget i was a young woman i was walking around in hyde park and i had just seen a girlfriend that i haven't seen in a while and i remember saying to her what happened and she said my husband he gave me a gift and I said, what was this gift? Because you look amazing. And I remember at the time she was wearing a cap because she it was obviously very close to her surgery. So she didn't wash her hair. But man alive, she didn't have to wash her hair because her tummy was flat. She didn't have hips anymore. Her bum was tight. She she was made over. Yes. And she just had a kid. I remember her youngest was maybe about three. What is a mommy makeover? So a mommy makeover is there really to go and restore the body shape and enhance it sometimes even further, but to the pre-pregnancy state. Because uh, obviously, as you know, pregnancy has its 
has its main, well, has an impact on the body in terms of the tummy and a lot of patients where the muscles, the abdominals, we're talking about your six-pack muscles, mm. widen and stretch from each other. Mm. The skin on the, the tummy um, stretches and then after pregnancy where it was a nice even flow from the lower tummy into the pubic area after pregnancies, there's now an apron starting to mm. uh, appear with stretch marks. Oh, you call it an apron. Apron. I, I call it a pouch. It's a pouch that... Are oh, you talking about this part? Yeah, the little part that usually folds over if you've had a, a cesarean okay, section. Okay, this is not an apron. Scar. This is a pouch. You should change the name. To? So, to a pouch? <laughs> 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 okay, sorry. I digress. I'm just so interested in this. Okay, so yes. So, but And then breasts, obviously, as well. Um, breasts enlarge, um, whether, regardless of breastfeeding. Um you know, enlarge during the pregnancy for preparation of breastfeeding. And then once the pregnancy or the breastfeeding is completed, then the breasts uh, return to its, again, pre-pregnancy size. But now with the stretch of the ligaments keeping the breast up on the chest wall, and now there's a droop and a sag that starts to occur. So I don't know what you're talking about at all. No. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm sure. But then… Uh, mommy makeover really is focused to restore the breast, to lift it again potentially, to okay. restore volume that might have been lost from pregnancy, from breastfeeding. Either liposuction or a combination of a liposuction with a tummy tuck or a mini tummy tuck to then address the changes that has occurred in the abdomen and, and the tummy. What is a tummy tuck? So if we're talking about the pouch or the apron, because I can tell you now what happened to me. My, my first baby, I was able to restore my body better than yes. before because I started running and I, I had a good trainer. Yes. And when my second baby came i just couldn't it took yes. me a lot longer in order to get it back yes. to what it and it still isn't back to what it used to be you yes. know um but it took it took a lot longer because it feels like it's stretched in the middle you know yes. like right down the center yes what is a tummy tuck now when you look at your figure post-pregnancy or after pregnancies and you like to look at your profile in a mirror and there might not be a lot of excess skin maybe there's no you know overhanging skin right. fold but when you look at your side your side view you can see a sort of a convex bulge mm. more in the in the lower part of the tummy that usually is indicating more that there might have been a separation or a widening rather a stretch of the attachment between the inner borders of the six pack right. muscles so now when you're standing relaxed when you're sitting relaxed there's no longer that that support or as support and you then have a slight convex bulge and that's what i would refer to maybe as more of, of a kangaroo pouch okay but now if you then look at your side in the profile and you had to see excess skin so a fold of skin almost like draping over the the fold between your pubic area and your your tummy then that indicates and especially with stretch marks excess skin as well so a full tummy tuck would be a tightening of those muscles to again, almost like buttoning up a corset underneath the skin. Oh, wow. And then to take, so now you've got an improved waistline and you've got a flatter contour to the mm. tummy, and then to assess the excess skin and remove that as well. If there's only a little bit of skin, it's a mini tummy tuck. If it's all the skin from usually above the belly button to the lower fold or there more or less where a C-section scar would be, then that is a full tummy tuck. Wow. Yeah, that's basically... Uh, abdominoplasty as we call it or a tummy tuck procedure do you move the navel if you're going to take all the skin from above the belly button and pull it down then you create a little new window for so the crazy. navel and you stitch it into place you take my old navel and put it where it should be now so old navel is is cut around and it stays attached to your to your muscles underneath and the skin is then pulled down almost like a vest that you pull mm. pull over and a new little hole for that 
belly button as it is still attached to the underlying muscles is then created with a mini tummy tuck because you are going to be pulling the skin down but not that much and the belly button's not going to shift down all that much mm. you detach the belly button and you just pull it slightly lower Okay. But anything more than two centimeters is going to start looking odd. You know, if you have a belly button which is sitting above your <laughs> your your lower tummy fold or or a C-section scar, that's then it's a that's more case for a full tummy tuck. Yeah, it shouldn't be there. No, no. Do people do that all at once? Do you decide? And now it's time for my tummy tuck, and you come in for boobs, tummy yeah. tuck, and what's that? What's the third one? So liposuction. Yeah. I think the and another thing we didn't speak about but along with smoking is you have to look at the body mass index, the weight in relation to the height of the patient as well. Mm. Because a patient that's not really overweight but more in the obese categories, you know, your risks for uh, delayed healing, for um, other complications of deep vein thrombosis, clots in the deep veins of the legs start to become more risky. The length of the procedure in its own right already already increases the risk for developing these types of complications. Mm. So um, you weigh it up also according to those um, and then decide whether a patient is fit for a length procedure or whether uh, you'd want to rather stage it. So a patient more in the obese category, if you are, you know, really uh, it's advised for a patient to be closer to their goal weight, uh, to lose the weight, not to be obese. But Mm -hmm. some patients, even regardless of that, and you have to look at also different degrees of obesity. Mm. But if it's early or in the lower obesity levels, then you can still proceed with the procedure, but you might have to then rather advise on staging it and not doing, you know, the breast lift with implants Uh, with or without implants or then um, a tummy tuck procedure in one setting. Okay. I've heard a a story around breasts and and what's drains? Do do the breasts need drains? So there are two schools of thought there. You get some surgeon who'd want to place drains around the implant to carry away. Is it a pipe? It's a very thin um, tube, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, I, for instance, I prefer to use drains because in three days on average, and that's how long for a breast augmentation or a breast lift with augmentation, the drains stay in, there's about 300 mils that collect between the two breasts. Where does the drain That's on average. Where come does out? the drain come out? If you about, say three days, that means you leave you leave surgery with a pipe yes, yeah. and, and a, a, a sachet, it's a, a packet. It's a fine tube dressed nicely as it enters the skin, So, but you do see it coming out underneath the post-operative bra. Okay. And then it goes out into a little, we call it a reservoir, a little container. Oh, container, and, a reservoir, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, what's that? There's a container. It's a reservoir. It's a, <laughs> it's a reservoir that I, where have you been? No. So, <laughs> my so yes, one next to me. But okay. yeah, it's 300 mils that your body would otherwise have to go and process. 300 mils. So on average, yeah. So is it's, it blood? It's, or? it's a mixture between blood and then healing fluid. So like okay. a, a serious yellowy fluid. Do you have to drink more water? You have to keep well hydrated regardless. Mm. Um, you obviously won't be discharged if you are... If there's any indication that that, mm. that there's such, but but no, you don't have to now go and drink copious amounts more mm. because of that. But you'll you'll have to keep well hydrated regardless. How do you feel after plastic surgery? Are you nauseous? Well, luckily I do the surgery, so I'm I feel okay. But you mean the patients? <laughs> <laughs> the yes. Patients <laughs> after especially lengthy procedures with a general anaesthetic, okay. um, patients patients will have a dec- often a degree of nausea, and so a lot of the anaesthetic agents then, mm. that then um, contribute to that. It's, the longer the procedure, the, the higher the yeah. likelihood. Do you do the, the operation sitting up or lying down? 
the patients lie down. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's for breast augmentation or breast surgery, I sit the patients up uh, before we um, before we wake up the patient, basically, and and extubate to evaluate the symmetry of the placement of the implants, right. the symmetry of the result. Um, but we do that while the patient is asleep and under, and then assess. But then, yeah, patients are operated. We're lying down. If mm-hmm. it's um, if it's a, a body contouring procedure, and I'm also doing some contouring towards the back and the love handles, uh, or the flank excess, then um, we'd start with patients often lying flat on their stomachs, and then turn them around and then address the front. How do you turn them around? We have a team of about four or five um, scrub personnel or staff that helps us to then with anesthetist turn the patient halfway through. Of course, there needs to be an anaesthetist too, right? Yes. So, so I mean, I, I remember because I, I had cesareans with my babies, and and then you meet the anaesthetist. Do you meet the anaesthetist in this case too? Like, do you see yes. who they are, and they they talk you through it? Hey, mommy, you're gonna be fine through your mommy yes. makeover. If there's if there's any <laughs> um, history of uh, of medical problems, and um, then I'd I'd sometimes even have to, or not have to, but I'd often uh, then arrange for a consultation even before the day of the procedure. Mm. Other than that, if the patient's sound uh, medically, then it's preferred for them to be there early in the morning so that when he does his pre-operative round, um, he can see them and Mm. they can meet him and they can potentially have a sedative um, or medication, uh, pre-operative medication just to calm them or keep them relaxed uh, leading up to the the procedure. Do do all of... Plastic surgery happen in a theater or is it, do you sit in a chair and you give us laughing gas and? You can, look, there's, the the more invasive your procedures become, um, the more likelihood there is to go to a, a general operating theater. But now you've got different settings. You can do some procedures in your rooms, mm. permitted that the patient's obviously kept comfortable. You mm. can do a procedure exactly the same way and this with exactly the same precision and technique that you can do in a general theater so smaller areas for instance upper eyelid surgery upper eyelid tuck under a bit of sedation in the rooms as possible right. obviously done sterile exactly like i could do it in theater but just in in a, um, a outpatient setting and then you get day clinics which but that again is a general theater again with the general anesthetic availability and then you get you know like an overnight acute facility and that's where patients are then operated and they sleep over and stay over. What is the most popular surgery that walks through your door? Like if people come and they, what is the most popular of all? I can tell you na- nationally, the most popular surgery is breast augmentation. Right. Second to that is liposuction. Mm. In my pr- uh, practice, it's uh, mommy makeovers. Wonderful. Um, and then a second to that, it's... Um, so a combination of those mm. really, and then breast enhancement surgery, whether it be breast lift, breast augmentation, or breast mm. reduction. A third on the list there is is liposuction, vasoliposuction. liposuction. I do quite a lot of. It just means that it's your traditional liposuction, but it uses ultrasound energy to facilitate the the procedure. So it makes for a more gentler approach um, and um, a more precise, almost extraction or breakdown of the fat that you want to be uh, removing. You did your training in Colombia? I did go to Colombia for the high definition um, body sculpting um, part of the procedure of the of, of liposuction mm. and training. And that's by really, uh, his name is Alfredo Hoyos. He's the pioneer really of high definition um, sculpting right. um, in the world really. But it uses VASA as the technology to um, achieve that. Mm. The reason I said wonderful is because 
many moms that I meet, when you say to them, oh, how's the baby? And they can tell you how the baby is. And when you say, how are you? Many of them don't even think of their mental health. They immediately refer to their body and go, ah, now just to lose the weight, you know? Mm -hmm. I I think it's wonderful that there's people that can help us with confidence, if that's your thing, to to do something like a mommy makeover. I mean, the results that I've seen um, on people, I think it's it's amazing. It's astounding uh, as to what what enhancement can do for for people you know and I, i think it's wonderful the reason why i chose you for this podcast is because i've seen how you work with people and that operating is one thing that you do but giving back is is another i've learned about your raise the bra campaign tell me more about it so raise the bra um really came as an idea um last year Mm -hmm. where i felt Every year I really try to to give back somehow because I've kind of been removed for the past couple of years from government practice right. and um, and just been involved more with private practice. So I really try in my own private capacity then to, to do something to give back. And um, that's where Raise the Bra was uh, initiated and where it came from and when, where it arose. And I see a lot of patients who go from an A cup to a C cup or from then a, a double D cup to a B cup. Mm. I thought, well, what are they doing with their old bras? Maybe um, I can give something which is regarded as a very simple piece of clothing, but a luxury to others. Wow. Maybe I can access that and persuade those patients um, to donate their bras. And it it really, um, it was the, the goal was from we started in February, really, then rolling it out um, as by Women's Day, which was on the 8th of March, mm. to have had and collected 100 bras. Mm. And, you know, it was just, it was so, so amazing to see how the sisterhood basically jumped into action based on a few simple social media posts and um, how 650 bras were raised by… In that short space of time? In that short space of time. So, no, it was really, it was really uh, heartwarming to see. And yeah, I think um, it was, you know, a little bit different to what I do, but um, still mm. related. And I think just so grateful for, mm. for to see how people get together and are willing to give and and donate and and all the way from you know the Cape and up up here in in Gauteng to see how different people just came together and and managed to get get these bras. And one um, story was was a, a man who donated bras. Um, his wife had recently passed away from breast cancer. She always wanted to be an organ donor, but because she wasn't in a really a healthy or a health condition to, to do so, um, um, and she passed away from breast cancer, um, he found out about the campaign, found out about, about the initiative, and he said it gave him the courage to actually go into her cupboards because he just avoided wow. uh, doing that um, completely. Gave him the courage because he knew that she always wanted to give back and donate. And then that's what gave him the courage to actually go into the cupboards and get those bras and donate it then for this cause. So, you know, that's really, um, it's that's those kind of yeah. stories that, that really make it worthwhile and are great to hear. Raise the bra. Where can we find out more about this campaign and contribute? Because we'd love to be a part of it. Raise the bra. You can either phone the practice at Four Ways Life or and check out the the website as well. Um, there's a website www.raisethebra.co.za and find out more about it. Get the contact details there um, and speak to the various team members involved in it. Um, we can receive your donations and give it to people 
who are really, really um, so grateful. Dr. Vez, wow, I've learned stuff today that I never thought in my life from enhancing your bum to your mommy makeover to do you do daddy makeovers no not yet but, um, <laughs> i love how he says not yet which means it's coming right <laughs> it's probably going to be as soon dw skin and how do i say that dw skin and body skin and body dw skin and body dr veyers uh dr dion veyers this was really nice this was really amazing dr dion May it go well with you and may you always look out for every person that walks through your door, but especially look out for our mommies because we have just given life and mm. we also just need someone that's on our side, okay? Mm. I like that. Sure. <laughs> Deal. Give us confidence, Dr. Dion. Give Deal. us confidence. <laughs> Baby Brunch, the parenting series, is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility, and control. And that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth. We let you be you.